0: She's the author of Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about collaboration. And collaboration is really a wonderful skill to learn to be able to get past conflict and help people to create solutions that better their lives, better their relationships, better their business. So today we're really thrilled because we have a wonderful woman joining us from the central coast of California. And she wrote this book called Collaboration Soup, a six-step recipe for co-creative meetings and other conversations. And she is also the author of the Achieving Agreement Workbook and Letters from My Future Self. Let me tell you a little bit about Delia Horwitz, who is a collaboration specialist, and she's a leadership coach and professional facilitator. In addition to founding and owning several businesses, she has extensive experience with strategic planning with nonprofit boards of directors, team building with small and large corporations, goal setting with city councils, corporate culture with uh, Fortune 500 senior leadership teams, and visioning with community stakeholders. So that's a really good um, potpourri of how she is able to get people to collaborate. She's even taught collaboration in Moscow, and her Achieving Agreement workbook is actually used as curriculum in the Russian schools. We'll have to ask her about that one. And she is also co-founder and she served for three years as executive director of Leadership Santa Barbara County. And so she has a lot of great experience and we're going to learn lots of new skills today and kind of share with you wonderful opportunities for you to collaborate and co-create better solutions in your lives. So thank you so much for joining us, Delia. We're thrilled to have you.
1: I'm thrilled to be here, Mari.
0: So how is it that you actually wrote this with a co-author, right? How is it that you collaborated on this new book?
1: Well, it's interesting. I didn't really plan to write a book. You know how things just happen along one's path. Paula and I, my co-author, we'd been friends for 25 years, and we facilitated events professionally. We certainly did a lot of fun things personally, and I loved the experience of co-creating with other people. You know, I come from a a family history where my family not only didn't collaborate and co-create, but they didn't even talk to each other. And I understand the, the pain when people are not able to have a conversation, and it escalates to where I have family members that, you know, haven't seen each other in 50 years, and have never gotten over it. So I've always been committed in my life to understand and to catalyze quality conversations where people can experience the, the joy of, of doing things together. And as Paula and I were going to different meetings and facilitating different events, what we discovered several years ago is all of a sudden this word collaboration was coming up more and more and town hall meetings were starting to happen, and community members were coming together to look at what they could do differently when the economy fell apart and how to make some transitions. And we would go to meetings that we were not facilitating, and frankly, we would leave very frustrated. Yes. Because you had a few dozen good-hearted, well-meaning people talking about tough issues, and there was a lot of conversation, but when people left, nothing happened. And so we felt like there was all this potential in the room, and if they just knew a few basic things about how to structure some more creative conversations that led to some action and some connection, it would make the world of difference. And so we began to chat about if we were going to teach that, what would we teach? And the next thing we knew, well, not the next thing. Two years later, <laughs> we um, produced a book, and um, we're very pleased with it because it's it's as you know, have you, you've seen it. It's very basic. It's we wrote it in eighth grade language. Every chapter's a page and a half, and in it we put all our best practices from our. Over 20 years of professional facilitating
0: and it's so important that it be user friendly so I love it you know that's how I teach as well even if I'm teaching at the law school who needs to have legalese and very complex situations I mean most of the most of the things that we need in our life are really to be something simple like they say kiss right keep it simple stupid so it's very important that we have something that is a that we're able to use and put into practice So let's start out and really clarify what we mean by collaboration. Well, I'm glad you
1: asked that question because it's a word that's used a lot. And the interesting thing about making things simple is one of the basic tenets of our work with groups and our facilitation is that we really have all the answers we need inside of us. Yes. And that's why when we wrote the book, rather than it being sort of an academic piece about a particular method we used the metaphor of the stone soup fairy tale because most people you know fairy tales last many centuries because they have some basic truths and in the fairy tale stone soup there's a famine in the land and a stranger comes to a village and they tell him to move along because they don't even have enough food for themselves so they're not going to feed him. And, of course, he says to them, no, you don't have to worry. I'm going to make stone soup, and there's going to be enough for all of us. So he comes into the village. He sets up a pot to boil. He takes a stone out of his pocket. He puts it in the pot. It's starting to boil, and people are looking out of their houses, out their windows, thinking this guy's a little crazy. But pretty soon he says very loudly, oh, yum, stone soup. This is going to be great. It's going to be so delicious, and there'll be enough for everyone. Oh, you know, it would taste so much better if we had a little piece of carrot or a leaf of uh, broccoli or even an old ham bone. And pretty soon everybody comes out of their house, not everybody, but the first person takes a risk, comes out from the protection of their own home, and they said, Gee, I have a leftover piece of cabbage, I have a leftover end of a carrot, I have a three-day-old ham bone before you know it. The whole village is contributing what they have, which doesn't seem like much by itself. And, in fact, they do have enough food for everyone. They sing and dance forever, and they never go hungry again.
0: Right. And that that is, yeah, that's co-creation. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about co-creation, because actually that's collaboration and co-creation.
1: And the reason we used the word co-creation, Mari, is we were trying to point to something that we don't even have language for in our time. You know, we're in an evolutionary shift in our culture where we're moving from me to we. Yes. In America, we were taught to be independent and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but that doesn't work anymore in such a complex society. And so what we mean by co-creative and the methods that we explain in the book are designed to set up the conditions where new answers and new solutions can show up that are only coming through a group they're not coming through individuals because they're too complex.
0: Yes. And and I know, you know, when I'm sitting there in when everybody's in conflict and I'm trying to help them to focus on solutions, I call that solutioneering because Great. Yeah, because problem solving is such a negative word because it's got exactly. the word problem in it, right? And so I have the you know coined the word for me and what I do, in what I write, I talk about solutioneering because it's like an engineering of solutions that everybody takes part in. So it's the same thing as co-creating, but and it's the same thing when you're in conflict, you're really trying to get beyond just co-creation because that you have to get over that hump of the conflict first. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, I do know. I love that word. Do I have your permission to use that?
0: Yeah, you can say Mari coined it.
1: (laughs) I will. And the shift for most of us, Mari, is moving from telling to asking.
0: Moving from
1: thinking that we have the answer and we have to convince other people to buy into our solution, rather than asking a question, uh, truly a curious, honest question that we don't know the answer to, and trusting the wisdom of the group to bring forth the different ingredients from each person's perspective that actually will combine in a puzzle sort of a way for the solution to show
0: up. Exactly. And that, that reminds me, I had a very tough mediation last night and we got to the point where we got stuck. We got stuck. And I said, "Okay, so everybody needs to think of possible solutions. And then at, you know, 930 in the morning, we're going to talk about this again. And we're going to meet. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to see what everybody came up with. And actually, there was a really super, um, one person stayed up all night and and made up several <laughs> solutions, but we resolved it. And and Great. that was because you know I they sometimes look to the mediator like you know do you have an answer? And sometimes I will when I see that they're stuck, I'll do a mediator proposal, and uh-huh. then they can play with uh-huh. it. But it's always more powerful when I say, well, what are some options that may work that'll meet everybody's concerns here? And so that's 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 really like what you're saying, which is not me telling or a judge telling you you're going to do this, which is not going to meet the needs of everybody. But everybody to think about a solution that they think other people will be able to buy into as well as themselves. And And it's amazing that
1: the solution emerges within the conversation. Yes. It's good that everybody thinks about their own solutions, but then when they come into the group, they need to be unattached to their own solutions and just say, well, almost like making a soup. Well, here's what I brought. Well, here's what I brought. Here's what I brought. And you throw all the solutions into a pot, and you say, gee, how do these all mesh together? What do they have in common? On page 77 of our book, we describe uh, what we call a listening circle, where you ask a question, you give a minute for everybody to think of their answer, and then you listen to each person's answer looking for what you agree with or what makes sense to you. And at the end of everybody going around, because nobody can talk twice till everybody has talked once, the question you ask is, so what does it sound like we yeah. are saying? Yes, yes. There's a we, there's a collective intelligence now. And I think, frankly, Mari, I think there's a whole new field of study which is group wisdom or group intelligence. Mm. And I think we're going to see more courses, more skills training, more books, to really how do you, it's almost like when Freud started the movement of uh, people looking at their own personal psychology. I think now we're moving into a time of really understanding the psychology of groups and how to use the wisdom of a group, because we need all of us. Things are too complex. We need all of us. Talking together and thinking together because the solutions do arise in healthy conversations.
0: Yes, and then everybody buys into it. If everybody had a little part of it, like you said with the soup, if, if someone would say, "Gee, I, I brought that," we all own
1: it. Yeah, yeah, we and all own that,
0: it, and, and yes,
1: we all own it.
0: Yes, and and I think you know the one caveat for someone like me who who works in conflict all the time is. And and you were talking about, you know, we all have to participate, and it's like the soup. You know, you bring your carrot, and you bring your onion, you bring this. Sometimes you have to think about what would go well with what the other person wants. Because if you're making a soup, you're not going to add marshmallows to carrots and onions and potatoes. You know, it might just not be good. It might not be a good mix. So. That's why formulating the question that you
1: take into the conversation, oftentimes, Mari, and facilitations, we spend five to ten minutes just aligning on what is the question.
0: Yes, yes. And, so that and people wh-
1: aren't ha- having different conversations about different
0: topics. Yes, yes. And one of the things that I always have to ask people is when you're thinking about something that's going to meet your interests, Go the next step to think about how will it also meet the other person's interests because your interests may be very different and maybe you can meet their interests and still get your interests met. And so it's expanding the pie or expanding the soup, so to speak, because people forget about thinking if they have to resolve a dispute How how is the other person, you know, going to deal with this or how might this work for the other person when I my most difficult mediations are when the parties are so kind of narcissistic in their thinking? They only think about what they want and they don't care what the other person wants and they don't realize that it's going to get very, very expensive and end up in court if they can't think about how the other person's interests are going to be met. So that's the kind of stuff I deal with.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that. The very first chapter in our book, again is a two page chapter, is on the collaborative brain. Is people see solutions differently when they're in the prefrontal cortex of their higher yes. brain centers yeah. than when they're in the amygdala triggered, more primitive parts of the brain. And so you can set up a conversation. And again, in the book, we give a lot of tips and tools on how do you set up the conditions for people to be in their higher brain centers where it makes sense for them, they see themselves as part of a system, and automatically they're able to see the other person's perspective and care yes. about the other person's perspective.
0: And it, it's a it's For me, it's a coaching process to get them there. And when they get there, then they feel good about it. You know, they do feel good. It's a joyful
1: experience to really, you know, it's almost like sex, really. It's like this deep connection with people and creating an experience together that produces something. It's very, very joyful.
0: Yes. And it creates, even when you've had relationships that have gone really kind of, you know, adversarial, it it rejoins that relationship. Even if people don't want to get back into business together or they don't want to remarry or they don't want to, you know, work together anymore in a workplace, it's at least they can be respectful of each other. And that's that's important. We are yeah. we are speaking today with uh, the author of this wonderful book, Delia Horowitz, who wrote Collaboration Soup, a six steps, a six step recipe for co-creative meetings and other conversations. Why don't we talk about the six steps in that recipe?
1: Sure, and we can break it down into three parts. And again, it's common sense, Mari. It's a beginning and a middle and end. A lot of times people come into a conversation in the middle or they jump into, okay, we have a problem here. What are we going to do about it? and they don't take enough time in the beginning to make sure people are ready and that's the RECIPE we wrote the book as a six step recipe right I and love mnemonics c i p e so it's be be ready to go make sure everybody's ready to go is the r the e is engage your stakeholders you right. know what your own personal agenda is but find out what theirs is so that's uh-huh. the be- that's before you even get In front of each, in front of each other, or in meeting, the C and the I are have conversations that cook and integrate the ideas. So don't just have a conversation, but then ask, what are our common themes? What does it seem like we're saying? What is what are our solutions? You look for the collective wisdom. So that's the middle. And of course, we all know that too often, people leave a conversation or a meeting, and it's like they were at two different events. So you have to be sure that you P and E, you plan the action, and you end with clarity. So whenever we do a facilitation, we make sure that we have at least a half an hour to end, to really wrap up the details, because at the end often is sometimes when somebody will toss out a wild idea or express an upset, and you need to have time to end with clarity. So that's what the six-step recipes explain is techniques to do each of those parts.
0: Yes and for me you know when i can write up what they've come up with and I'm, and you i'm sure you do that too is then they see look what we created you know yes, and, and it's
1: also clear there's no room for misunderstanding because if you send the notes out within 24 or 48 hours you know let me know if there's any edits
0: right Right. Any edits or, would, you know, is there something we forgot or is something that we misunderstood? And It's
1: essential to have notes in writing. And again, in the book, we present different formats and ideas for how to make that a very simple thing to do.
0: Yeah. And when I'm and I'm sure you do this, too. I mean, people seem to love it when we when we brainstorm ideas and put them on these flip charts all over the room. You know, we have those like the stickies that we can put all over the room and then people yes. can see that their ideas are are being shared, everybody's being heard. Whether or yes. not we choose them later is, is another thing, but at least they know that it was important enough for everybody to be heard. So, yes.
1: In fact, we, there's a, a, one of the most popular techniques that we, that we um, use and we teach it in, in the book is the sticky note exercise where everybody puts their individual answers on diff, individual sticky notes and you throw them up on the wall and then you group them by similar ideas. And then you give each column a title. So everybody's idea is there, but it's integrated into one particular theme or strategy. And that's why we're able to do strategic planning sessions in four hours. Yes. People are amazed.
0: Yes. And, you know, I think there is a a real thirst in our society for connection. I think that's why people do yes. social media. I yes. think that's why they're, you know, in all these uh you know, chat rooms. I think that they're hungry for it. I just don't think that the Internet, when you're not seeing another face and you're not hearing tone of voice, I think so much is missing. And I'm really worried about that in terms of my my children's generation, you know, that they are not connecting at the kind of level that you and I are talking about. What are your thoughts about that?
1: I agree. I have the same concern and consideration and that's why it's important. The good news about the Internet and social media is we can now have communications and conversations with anybody in the world. Yes. Just about. And that's fantastic. But once we make a connection with people, then we need to filter. I heard somebody say that we are leaving the information age and we're entering the a- the filtering age. Hmm. So it's important once we go broad and we identify who our like-minded people are and who our colleagues are, that then we are able to engage in a more meaningful, deeper dialogue with them. And I think our six-step recipe allows for that. And I think a lot of the collaborative tools, the Google Chat Room and the Google Docs, and there are Internet collaborative tools. Yes, that are the software, and, of course, what we offer is the humanware.
0: Yes, and hopefully with, you know, as we're using more video with it, that, that even people who are across the world will be able to collaborate and communicate effectively using the kind of tools that you're talking about in your book. So is there a collaborative-prone personality? A collaborative-prone personality? Yeah. Are there some... I,
1: um... Hmm. I have to think about that. I don't have... It's a really good question. Um, I, I'll tell you what we notice is the biggest difference. Once people have had a really positive co-creative experience, then they're more prone and more willing. Until people have had it, they don't know what we're talking about. Yes so they tend to shy away and a lot of times people use the word collaboration. oh yeah, I have a collaborative relationship. No, it's not collaborative. It's cooperative. you give a little, I give a little, I give up, you give up. That's not the co-creative magic that you know we help people find and implement for their projects. you know that yeah, that's more a-
0: compromise. Yeah,
1: yeah. so I think a lot of people are not prone to it because they've never experienced it and they don't know how wonderful it is. Once they've had a taste of it, they go, oh, wow, this is amazing. I love this. How, how can I do
0: this? Yes, and I think it was interesting when you were talking about, you know, your family of origin, how they weren't collaborative, how they didn't communicate, how there were problems. And I think those of us who, who had experiences like that, and I had a similar experience, um, is that you know, we have a hunger for it. And so that probably was a gift to us to try and create solutions like my solution, yeah. your co creativeness, your, you know, yeah. all that stuff is that, that that's kind of our gift, our need is our gift. And so not only do we need it, but then we know we find that other people need it. And we're giving that gift back. I agree. So what are some of the keys people need to do when they get angry so that they can collaborate? That's a a big one. Anger is um, a real stumbling block.
1: You can't collaborate when you're angry. No. You just can't. So don't even try. And if you're trying to collaborate with somebody who is angry, then stop trying to collaborate. (laughs) And that's where my other um, book that is not published yet, Achieving Agreement, comes in, is people need to take responsibility to manage their own body reactions, their own fight-or-flight reactions, because when someone is in fight-or-flight, the mind thinks that one of us is going to die. It's either you or me. So I'm not interested in caring about you at that moment, and I want you to change so that my body will relax and calm down. And that doesn't work, Mari, as you know.
0: it's impossible. Yeah.
1: So you have two problems at that point. You have the problem you're trying to solve, and you have the problem of the body. being in hyperreaction. So the only thing that I know of to do is to stop trying to collaborate like you did. You had people go home and think overnight. You take a walk, you take a break, and you have each person take responsibility to do whatever they need to do to calm down. If they need to go outside and yell, if they need to do some jumping jacks, if they need to um, cry, whatever people need to do to release and use up the adrenaline so that they can return to a rational state. You know, now the Yeah, the I was gonna thing, say Yeah, go ahead. Well just um, on the emotional tone scale when people are angry or depressed or irritated or in grief or whatever, if they can get to curious, then that can be the bridge to the higher brain states. So if somebody's really angry, getting curious about wow, I'm noticing I'm really angry. I wonder what triggered me. What is this reminding me of? And get curious. Curiosity I think is, is truly the, the magic combination. To move people from those lower states to the higher states and to uh, bridge that gap of my needs and your needs.
0: Yeah. For me, I I have some other experiences because when I'm in, you know, with people who are very angry, which I'm in all the time with people who are angry, that's why Uh they're in a dispute. Um, Sometimes I need to caucus with them independently, let them vent and let and have me coach them out of that. Yes. You know, like, how is this anger serving you? You know, you know, and that's, that's a, that's a biggie. I had to do that just, uh, just this morning with a client who was so angry and so bitter. And, and I said, how, how is that helping you? How can you, you know, what can you do, you know, about the past that you, you know, you can't change it. So what's it doing to you? How is this anger keeping you from your good? How is that good for you?
1: Yeah. Deal with the anger because you can't can't negotiate. I don't think when you're that when you're that angry, the brain just doesn't see any possibility for us both to
0: win. And a lot of people like when you say go take a walk or do think that helps. But some people, and especially when they're very angry, they don't have the tools to transform that anger. So they don't even know how to do it. So they need someone to coach them, whether it's a therapist, whether it's their mediator, whether it's a friend, someone to get them so they get out of that and recognize that it's like when you get angry at somebody and you want revenge. It's like you take the poison that you think is going to kill them. It's going to kill you. you yeah, know? yeah. I, so, I
1: agree. People need to get much more adept at hanging, at handling our anger and our reactions, yep. and not put it on uh, that it's other people's fault.
0: Right. Well, we are just about out of time. So give the name of your book and your website, and we're going to have to go. It's Collaboration Soup, and the
1: website is www.collaborationsoup.com, and under Resources, there's lots of free stuff for people.
0: Well, that is terrific. It was so much fun talking to you, and I wish you the best. And when you get your other new book, why don't you send it to me, and we'll do another show. Great. I appreciate all the work you're doing, Mari. Thank you so much. It's fun, Dalia. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. At, on Prescriptions for Healing Conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: program to not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
0: Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And today we're welcoming Deputy Mike Perez, who's assigned as a full-time Special Weapons and Tactics Team member for the SWAT team. He's been with the department for 12 years and with the SWAT team for seven. Thanks so much for joining us, Mike.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So why don't you tell us what the SWAT team does in Orange County?
1: Our team is responsible for providing tactical support to all the county areas as well as contract cities within Orange County. Um, Our primary responsibility is to respond to highly volatile or unpredictable situations where traditional law enforcement tactics are proving to be ineffective in resolving the problem. We try to utilize unconventional tactics for unconventional problems. With additional training, advanced body armor and specialized weapons, we have the ability to systematically resolve more complex problems while continually minimizing the risk to the citizens of Orange County. We are also responsible for conducting high-risk warrants for other department personnel when certain criteria are present. Examples of that would be dangerous weapons, high propensity for violence, prior weapons charges, and prior assault on law enforcement, things of that nature.
0: Wow, so that's that's a tough job. Well we'll have you back again to tell us a little bit more about it and we thank you for all your courage and all your great work. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mari. Bye.